After an uneventful fine night's rest, we arrive in Chicago. We seek out culture in a great art gallery. We can't leave Chicago without a visit to the Great Plain. The people are all so friendly in the great outdoors. You wanna see and you wanna see Like when the xenomorph took out Harry Dean You wanna see and you wanna see Like when Bobby D says you're talking to me Seen it all with Jeff and John Hey everybody, welcome to Seen It All with Jeff and John, the podcast where we break down our favorite scenes from our favorite movies. I am Jeff Glover. And I'm John Zabriskie. And in this episode, we're going to go dusting where there ain't no crops. (laughs) That's right. We are talking about a scene from the 1959 Alfred Hitchcock mystery thriller comedy? Question mark? (laughs) North by Northwest. I'm an advertising man, not a red herring. I've got a job, a secretary, a mother, two ex-wives, and several bartenders dependent upon me. And I don't intend to disappoint them all by getting myself slightly killed. Cary Grant becomes a secret agent against his will. Propelled at gunpoint onto the highest level of international intrigue. And framed for murder. Cary Grant, running for his life, searching for a man who doesn't exist. And a secret nobody knows. And finding a blonde who has all the answers. Hello there. Tell me, why are you so good to me? Shall I climb up and tell you why? At breakneck speed, they race together toward the excitement that lies dead ahead, north by northwest. How do I know you aren't a murderer? You don't. Cary Grant, Eva Marie Saint, and James Mason as the man of sinister surprises. Apparently, the only performance that will satisfy you is when I play dead. In your very next role, you'll be quite convincing, I assure you. The perfect setup for suspense. With the perfect woman and the perfect crime. As Alfred Hitchcock takes you north by northwest. Maybe James Bond a little bit before little James bit. Bond. Pretty sweet gray suit Cary Grant is wearing in this film, though. Yeah, iconic. I, if I remember correctly, looking at the research uh, from many months ago when I wrote these notes, uh, he had suits specially made for the film. And I believe mm. this gray suit is in a museum for uh, just as iconic, iconic uh, nature and just how much of a how much it added to Cary Grant's character of uh, Roger Thornhill. I, I'm looking at your name like George. No, not George. George is he's not George. He's Roger. Um, so are you saying that the suit it belongs in a museum? <laughs> 
So do you, <laughs> Mr. Jones. That belongs in a museum. So do you. <laughs> um, I had never seen this movie before. And uh, so this was a fun one for me to watch. It's uh, rare that uh, we uh, choose a movie that one of us hasn't seen um, in these 10 episodes we've done. It's rare. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but what uh, you chose this? What was your um, what was behind this choice? What's your history with this movie? Tell me about you and North by Northwest, John. Oh sure. Uh, well, first off, I had seen this movie all of one time prior to me. Oh wow! Uh, choosing this scene, but it's it's a scene that's just iconic in Hollywood and just movie making. Uh, it's just one where if you look at top scenes or even top movies for that matter you'll see this scene pop up this yeah. iconic Cary Grant running from the crop duster plane uh, in the fields in the middle of nowhere and for me it was just kind of a more or less like a shot in the dark for just something I was looking for a scene that's just iconic in nature because we've talked about some of our favorite scenes from maybe smaller movies like Rumble in the Bronx some yeah. bigger movies um, like Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade and Alien, but this was me just kind of going out a little bit on on a branch because I don't, I also don't have that much experience with Alfred Hitchcock or even this movie. Like I said, I watched this one once, and then when I was thinking about other movies I've seen of Alfred Hitchcock, I know of a lot of his other movies like The Birds and Psycho, yeah, and Rear Window, but I never really seen them they're like their movie language is in other movies and hitchcock's fingerprints are all over other movies but it was it was was nice to like just kind of settle in with a movie that's known for being iconic and seeing like what made this movie uh so special to to really film history and there's a lot of ways this fits into film history and, and we'll, we'll talk about that, but, um, and just watching this again, uh, it was, it was quite the ride, especially in seeing, um, like James Bond before James Bond even existed hmm. on film. Yeah. I had never seen this before, as I said, and, um, I, you know, I, I have seen the birds and I've seen psycho. I think those are the only two sure. um, Hitchcock movies I've actually seen. And, and I can't even remember when the last time was, I saw the birds. I was probably pretty young, but I've mm-hmm. seen psycho a lot of times, but I'm not a real big, um, you know, Hitchcock buff or anything. I, I obviously he's uh, one of our most famous American filmmakers. Um, but for whatever reason, British. Just, he's, he's actually British. Oh, is he British? Okay. He's British. <laughs> <laughs> well, his films are popular in America. Um, yes, yes. <laughs> but um, I, I just, for whatever reason, have never gone back and watched a lot of those classics. I've never seen Rear Window. I tried to watch Vertigo once, but I got interrupted and never finished it. Um, so it's definitely a blind spot for me. So it was fun to watch. And same as you said, it was interesting watching this and thinking about, wow, this was a highly celebrated film. It was very, very popular and trying to kind of pick apart why that was. And not to say that it wasn't a good film. It was, um, but you know, by movies made today compared to movies made in 1959 is a very different thing. And so, um, and I, I honestly have not watched a whole lot of films uh, from pre 1970. So it's, it's good for me to go back and watch these films and, and, 
and learn about what did make them special and why were they so popular and why were they um, so influential. Um, so that was fun. And as we kind of break down this scene, we're going to talk about later. I can, as I watched it several times, I fully realized like why this scene is so iconic and why Hitchcock really is a master of his craft. Yeah, this is yeah, just, just an amazing scene. He's in the middle of nowhere. And I think the scene itself just comes out of nowhere. Like if you're watching this for the first time, uh, without any pre-knowledge, it's, and probably something that you could, you were able to do a lot more back then, which is go into a movie blind without spoilers and without trailers inundating you. Right. Um, it, it would have been just a, this awesome surprise in the middle of this jam-packed movie, really, um, where, yeah, it's mistaken identity, it's huge set pieces, it's, um, right, actors uh, that you've known from other things. It's, um, yeah, like, like I said, whoops. Uh, like we're talking about here, it's these these iconic moments and you're seeing the genesis of, of some of these moments. Yeah, it's an interesting film because it's um, it does feel we were talking before we started recording. We we mentioned that at times this movie feels slow. Right. Mm-hmm. And and that's true. And I think part of that is because it's I think it's a little overly long, like it, mm-hmm. it it's over two hours um, and there are some scenes that feel like they could be shortened a little bit. Um but uh, who am I to criticize Hitchcock? But um, it, there are parts of it that do feel long. But at the same time, I felt like the story actually moved quickly. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of like little twists and turns and uh, little changes that you had to really pay attention to. And if you if you missed it, um, you would be confused. You know, I, like I found myself several times having to – I paused the movie and would go back and – and do a quick reread of the film synopsis up to where I was to make mm-hmm. sure I was understanding like who, what the characters were doing, what their motives were. And that I understood, Oh, this latest little twist that I understood what I just saw. You yeah. Know? It, it took me, I mean, I think the first time I watched it, I, which was a, a few years ago, I, I don't think I completely understood the plot because mm-hmm. like you're saying, it's a little bit convoluted, especially because the whole time, if you're watching this, you eventually have to realize, oh, there is no George Kaplan. There's only Roger Thornhill, and then everybody's chasing this ghost of Roger, of George. I mean, I can't George and Roger. They're, they're too <laughs> right. close of a name, right? Um, <laughs> which is, I'm sure, part of the reason that his character is dragged into this. But um, right, this this whole this whole character that's spoofed by the intelligence of government um, doesn't even exist. Uh, and people are just chasing and chasing and chasing and thinking that uh, Cary Grant is George Kaplan the whole time, right? Yeah. You're, you're then, not really sure. And we find out that Kaplan doesn't actually exist, but the government agents decide not to do anything about it because right. their, their double agent, Eve, uh, is uh, distracting the other agents from what they're doing by continuing this, this farce of George Kaplan. And then you find out that, yeah, you see what I mean? Like it, it, it wraps circles around itself until the kind of the final reveal in the, in the third act. And uh, it's fun, but uh, I definitely like, you really do have to pay attention um, to follow the plot and to really kind of get the, the, the twist or the reveal that happens later on. So, yeah. And, and in my opinion, like I appreciate the twist coming from the, 
um, government man who, uh, what is he? He, he, he takes, I'm having to recall the movie. It's been a couple months since I actually watched. should have watched the full movie recently. But um, if I remember correctly, uh, the agent takes um, Roger. God dang it. Or the agent takes Cary Grant aside away from the police and fills him all, all in. Um, right. It would have been, in my opinion, it would have been nice if that was the reveal. But the reveal actually comes earlier when like all the government people are sitting in a room talking to each other, basically explaining You're right. the movie. Um, yeah. That, that would have been that kind of nifty, like 21st century uh, twist is, is if you put that way, way, way back, like after, you know, the way after the first act, maybe even after the, um, the airplane sequence here, because I, I feel like that happens a little bit earlier than um, I was expecting it yeah. to that, that reveal. But anyway, we're not, we're not necessarily having to talk about the whole movie, but it's, it's good to yeah give it, give it some, uh, perspective yeah for sure and and you know it i think you can really see hitchcock i i can see why hitchcock was so is so revered i mean this movie is about spies and double agents and mistaken identities and and has all these elements of like a maybe a noir or you know kind of a dark spy thriller or something Mm -hmm. and he takes all those elements and puts it into this film that's that's very colorful Mm-hmm. And sort of vibrant and um, lots of big wide shots, like the beautiful big wide shots that almost look like paintings, you know, and uh, I like that, that kind of that contradiction. I I think that's what, so when I was reading about this film, a lot of people kind of described it as being uh, sort of a parody of, of Hitchcock, like Hitchcock making a parody of his own movies. Sure. Kinda. And uh, so when I read that, I was like, that makes sense. I can see that. Um, and that's where some of those little comedic elements come in. Uh, Cause I do think there are some actual like little funny parts to this movie that. Oh, Oh, absolutely. This know. is, yeah. I mean, it's, it's Cary Grant who just uh, runs amok basically. And is yeah. just winking at the camera all the time. And like, even, even like knowing that he has these guys after him, like trying to kill him, he just he's just so casual. I know. Casual about it. Um and like gosh, the whole like drunk driving sequence, oh, you know. My gosh. <laughs> the whole drunk driving it, it, it it's followed shortly by my favorite line of the movie. It's something like um yeah, these two no, it, it wasn't it wasn't my fault. It was these two men they 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 poured bour- bourbon into me. They didn't have the courtesy to give me a chase, a chaser. Right. Right. <laughs> I'm just like I was just yeah, I was just cracking up watching parts of this movie because, yeah, Cary Grant is the one who really keeps this movie clearly moving. And, yeah. like, he, he at first, right, has no agency, has a loss of identity because people are mistaking him for someone else. But throughout the movie, and I think this is a huge turning point, this crop duster chase scene, uh, this is pivotal in giving him more agency because after this, he goes back to Eve and then right right accuses her of of putting him in harm's way and lying and um then by the end of the movie yeah he's he's fighting the bad guys on right. Mount rushmore right <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's definitely it's definitely that kind of movie um yeah hitchcock had the set pieces in mind yeah uh, beforehand and yeah. Or as, as he was looking at the script and said like oh this, this is going to be a great movie what are we going to call it North by Northwest. (laughs) (laughs) We're backwards from there. What does that mean? Nobody really knows what the term (laughs) North by Northwest means. It's not even a compass direction. It's (laughs) right. If you're going to say a compass direction, then you say like 
North Northwest. You wouldn't say North by Northwest. It doesn't doesn't really make sense. But um, yeah, All right. it's, it's it's a fitting movie name for a, a kind of a convoluted plot. But go yeah, ahead. yeah, I I agree. All right, so two things about this movie that I yeah. want to add before we get to the the scene. Uh, <laughs> number one, the drunk driving scene. Um, all of the whole time, all I could think about is that it looked to me like a twisted version of one of those like Disneyland rides like Peter Pan or uh, Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, like yes, one of those. Yes, exactly. And then I was thinking, what if Disneyland really did have a, a ride like that that was called like uh, Roger Thornhill's Drunk <laughs> Drunken Ride or whatever? <laughs> and then thing number two, Cary Grant is like 55 years old in this movie. Yeah. How old do you think his character is supposed to be? Because his character looks like he's also like 55. They don't really try to make him look younger. Right. No, no, he has all the silver and he has right the gray suit to match. Um and then yeah, and he, he's he's cracking wise as as someone with a lot of experience. He mentions having yeah. two ex-wives. So he, he comes off as a as a as a seasoned chap. Yeah, and then Eve says she's 26. And yeah, I mean oh. I, I don't remember what the actual age difference is, but uh yeah, I I think yeah, we're not we're not made to think that like these people are close in age. Um, yeah, so that's a weird one that she's so young and he's like old enough to be her dad. They are twenty uh, years apart, so he's oof. born nineteen oh four. So in this movie, yeah, he's fifty five, and in yeah. this movie, she is thirty five. So there's that twenty year difference. But yeah, she says she's younger. She says she's twenty six, and her character is yeah, yeah so, yeah. so even a bigger age gap. Uh, so almost thirty years, and it's. That's crazy to think about. <laughs> I know. And it's just like normal. <laughs> yeah. And then the other weird age thing is that his mom looks younger than him. He looks older than his own mother in this movie. <laughs> oh, and his mom's like, let's, I mean, his mom's like one of the better parts of the movie. Just yeah. his relationship with his mom. And that's like always played for laughs. Uh, how old is she? She's only he, eight years older than him in real life. Right. That's okay. Old. So I'm not crazy. Yeah. No, like, no, no. She should have been like. 90 years old in this movie or something. Right, right. Um, there's another connection, an overbearing mother character. Mm, yes. Just like Psycho, yeah. Oh, mother. Mother, this is your son, Roger Thornhill. Yeah. No, no, mother, I have not been drinking. No. No, these two men, they poured a whole bottle of bourbon into me. No, they didn't give me a chaser. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe Hitchcock liked that part too. Just right. Yeah. But in this case, she's alive, right? In Psycho, she's dead. That's true. Yes. She is a corpse in Psycho. <laughs> she's, she's a dead body. But I mean, yeah. But, but she lives on in the mind of Norman Bates and still right. kind of controls his actions in a weird right. way. Yeah. They still have that relationship. Yeah. So, anyhow, fun movie, really great cinematography. If you like classic cinematography, um, a lot of wide shots, amazing set pieces. Um, even the opening credits were revolutionary at the time. They they use the the lettering that's moving and shifting on the screen and sort of as part of the um, part of the the background that it's laid on top of, which at the time was was really a brand new thing. Yeah, that's um, that's some wild stuff if you watch it. It's so smooth, like yeah, the, yeah. For yeah, having to move the text across the screen, you know, they're just 
right? Sliding things around and, and trying to overlay that onto the film. Yeah. So I, hand. I, I think that's a big part of this movie is, is just uh, the, the filmmaking of it, I, mm-hmm. I think is, was really a lot of it was cutting edge and, and really beautiful at the time. I mean, it's still beautiful now, but um, at the time it was probably uh, kind of awe inspiring to see. So yeah. So yeah. fun to watch. I'll, I'll, I'll say, I'll say the last thing about something outside of this, scene is mm-hmm. which is hilarious it's uh hitchcock I, I think was not allowed to show too much smooching so oh. at the end you catch that at the end they're on the train and then like as carrie grant and eva marie saint are cuddling up and like smooching and starting to hug uh it pans out or it cuts to exterior shot of the train going into the tunnel and then it's <laughs> roll. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think about that. That's yeah, great. it was it's so Austin Powers, right? Austin Powers used that kind of stuff, right? Right. Yeah, it's just just this is Hitchcock. He's he's just a rascal of a of a filmmaker, and yeah, I'm just gonna uh, show, yeah, show some real attitude here with our scene today. Yeah, I love it. All right, yeah. should we should we talk about this crop duster scene? I'm excited. <laughs> let's, let's talk. Oh yeah. So have we even talked about the actual scene? Oh no. I guess we should. Uh, yeah, talk about that. So what scene are we watching today, John? Uh, we're watching the crop duster scene from North by Northwest. Hmm. What's up? <laughs> but, what's the runtime, John? <laughs> yeah, this is. If you're trying to find this on whatever torrent I downloaded, uh, it's on. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is from throwing that Torrance. out there. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, if you're watching the same movie file I'm watching, you're looking at an hour and six minutes, 15 seconds to an hour and 15 minutes and 57 seconds. Another, another real long banger of a scene chosen by me. Mm-hmm. But I mean, this is, this is such a, a perfectly encapsulated scene. I feel like starting with being dropped off by the bus ending yeah. with him leaving in a different vehicle <laughs> it's a really good choice for this podcast because it's very clearly has a beginning middle and an end to it so this yeah. is yeah it's good it's really this good. is yeah this is uh carrie grant being chased by an airplane uh and you know and in, in on on location a real airplane yeah. a real carrie grant <laughs> and uh, real middle of nowhere real middle of nowhere um but yeah this is this is the crop duster plane chasing from north by northwest All right. Well, let's get into it. We're going to break the scene up into three parts, as we often do. The first part's going to run from uh, one minute, excuse me, one hour, six minutes, 15 seconds, uh, for about the next three minutes, up to one hour, nine minutes, and five seconds. We begin with the bus dropping off Roger Thornhill on the side of the highway in the middle of nowhere, which is really Indiana. There are flat, brown, far as the eye can see, farmlands. Uh, Roger watches the bus depart. He looks out at the surrounding empty horizon. Over one field in the distance, he sees a plane lazily dusting the crops. A car speeds past him on the highway. He looks out at the empty horizon again. Another car (laughs) speeds past him on the highway. Another truck speeds past him on the highway, blowing dust all over him while he stands on the side of the road. (laughs) This is a really great... um, set up to this scene um this this setup is all mood to mm-hmm. me there's no score um and we just have some of the sound effects of the wind and the plane flying in the background there's a lot of wide shots panning shots showing us the farmland everything is brown he's in the middle of nowhere right this is supposed to show us that he's vulnerable and exposed and helpless right 
Yeah, they're just dropping them right. There's 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 nothing potentially if anything goes south. I mean, fingers crossed it doesn't. But if anything happens here in this open area, he's he's left with nothing to do, and I, I we're nowhere to hide and nowhere to run, nothing to take cover under. Uh, yeah, this is a cars passing. Yeah, uh, sorry. This is I was just gonna say this is a break for his character, right? Because up until now he has gotten by on charm and wit. And thinking on his toes and maybe a little bribery. Um, And now none of that is going to work here. He is uh, really out exposed, literally in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And and I think this is setting the stage here. This is a scene I think a lot of people could relate to, Mm -hmm. not just in the 50s, but even now. Like if you've ever just kind of been waiting for a bus at a bus stop or uh, you've ever like been driving on a long road trip and you just stop and you're just kind of looking around <laughs> it, it, it can really let the mind wander as you're kind of looking around just like thinking about thoughts you're just like what what do you think about in, like in something what, like this what has brought me to this spot in right. my life right <laughs> do, do you have any good uh, middle of nowhere stories I, I definitely have one i i have one so it's definitely one of the times i've been the most uh in probably the most isolated uh, area that I've ever been in. And it was when I was 22 years old, me and a few friends decided to, so we were up in the Seattle area. We decided to drive to Chicago mm. just for a big, long old road trip. We were going to drive to Chicago. We're going to get to the city. We we're going to stay there for a few days in a hostel. We had some concerts we were going to go see, do some museums, just see the city and then drive back because we are why the hell not, right? We're young and stupid. And so we do that and it was fun. It took us, you know, like took us two or three days to get there because we made some stops and camped at one point along the way and uh, spent a, a little time in Chicago, basically just stayed in Chicago till we all ran out of money. And, uh, and we just were using our credit cards to buy gas for the drive home. Uh, but when we, when we left Chicago, we drove, um, instead of going directly across the Midwest, which is how we came in, we decided to go kind of northwest from there oh. 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 Um, up towards uh, up towards the Dakotas and oh. Um, oh. <laughs> but instead of cutting across South Dakota which would have taken us past the uh, Mount Rushmore oh. we continued up into North Dakota ah. and drove across North Dakota at one point we went through Fargo that was the biggest city we went through Mm-hmm. And then headed out. Just I, I can't remember what the highway. It might be Highway 94. I can't remember. But there is a highway that goes right across east to west, uh, North Dakota, and it is long and straight. And there is fucking nothing out there for hundreds of miles. Like you You're got saying the, you hit nothing. Yeah, we hit nothing. We hit nothing. <laughs> Like there is an occasional gas station along the way in small towns that honestly probably had a population of like 50 people. Mm -hmm. Um, But this went on for, you know, 12 to 16 hours of this. God, I mean, there is nothing up there, man. Like there is nothing up there. And we, at one point I, it was the middle of the night. I had the red eye driving shift. It was the middle of the night. And I pulled off onto the side of the road because I had to pee really bad from all the coffee that I've been drinking. 
And I had one of those moments that you were talking about where I stepped out of the car, (laughs) everyone else inside the car was sleeping. And I'm like looking up at the sky. I'm literally in the middle of absolute nowhere, like just peeing on a bush. (laughs) (laughs) And it's probably the furthest I've ever been from any sort of real civilization was, was in that moment. Yeah. Okay. I thought you're going to, isn't there part of that story you fell asleep at the wheel or your friend did? Mm. No, but I did. um, Have I told that story before? I did. I was driving and it was late. This was around the same, same night and a a deer or an elk jot out or jogged out into the middle of the freeway. Oh man. Um, And I had to, I was going like 85 miles an hour in in the dark and I had to slam on the brakes and everybody woke up. It was like seen out of a a road trip movie. Everyone's like, ah, (laughs) and I come to a screeching halt and I don't hit the, didn't hit the animal. There were no other cars around, so it didn't matter. Right. And, uh, and everyone was fine, but that was, that was scary. Yeah. All right. Do uh, you yeah, have that's... a middle of the nowhere uh, story? I, I do. I do. Um, so a long, long time ago when I was part of the, excuse me, church youth group, um, mm. the church youth group decided that we need to go on a mission trip to Tijuana, Mexico to <laughs> build, ho- build houses. <laughs> Great. Wholesome. <laughs> wholesome. Wholesome. Wholesome place to take a yeah. bunch of children. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Tijuana. Jesus. <laughs> but um, not that that was in the middle of nowhere. Not, not at all. Tijuana has stuff going on. There's Right, right. It's whatever. pretty it's, busy it's, there actually. It's, it's the road trip. And there's a particular part of the road trip where you're between San Francisco and Los Angeles. And there is just nothing. We have nothing. Yeah. Nothing. It, yeah. it looks a lot like what North by Northwest, what this scene looks like. It does. You're a right. A little bit more hills. It's like all olive farms and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's just brown hills. And we stop at a rest stop in, you know, the 15 or 16 passenger van. Yeah. Uh, and this, this is kind of rest stop where like you exit the freeway and like dips down, like away from the highway. Yeah. It's kind of like in this depression or basin or whatever the rest stop is. And, uh, we all hop out to use the bathroom and I'm sitting there going number two, you know, and <laughs> just, just a little TMI about myself. I, I tend to take a little bit longer than most people going the twosie. I just like my, my peace and quiet, my solitude. So you, you're, you're really enjoying your moment here, taking your time, relaxing. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know. yeah. <laughs> I'm a man of leisure. You've got uh, the I, you've got the comics section from the newspaper. Exactly, I've, I've tucked away some like the little nickel from the local <laughs> no. grocery got, or whatever. You got a Reader's Digest in your back pocket. <laughs> exactly, those are made for people like me, like the right. You know, okay, read alongs, and I come out, and and there's there's no cars, there's no vans, there's no people in the rest stop anymore. Like everybody, oh, no. all the cars are going. Oh it's no, just me just looking around like. I guess I guess everybody left without me when I was in the bathroom. Oh my god! And this is like pre-cell phones. No, this is yeah. This is like ninety-five. So this oh is my god. Pretty a lot of things. I would have freaked out. What do you do? You just go sit on a curb and hope they realize and turn around. Yeah, yeah. They they were not gone long. That's it was good. Maybe maybe ten minutes, but I think I think the way they told it is like one of the people like was doing the head count later and was like. Oh crap! What about Sabrisky? So oh my god! Pull a quick Yui, and then yeah, come pick me Some up. Some kids like he's still taking a shit. 
<laughs> he likes to take his time. That would have been funny if they turned around and came back and you were still in the bathroom. And you know they left. <laughs> came out like, oh, thanks for waiting, guys. <laughs> no, no problem. No problem, John. No, you're, you're all good. But that's, that's definitely one that stands out. Is, mm-hmm. Yeah, every, everybody left when I was in the bathroom, which I think would be a hilarious name of an autobiography. Yeah, <laughs> that is a good name. I like that. Yeah, A lot of weird stuff happens when people are in the bathroom. You know? <laughs> Just lost control. People could drive away. Mm. <laughs> your, your band of fellow Christians could forget you and go to right. Tijuana and without you. To Tijuana, build a house without you. <laughs> Tijuana, build a house without you. Oh, my God. Oh, All right. Should I we can, get back to our that fun aside? But let's yeah. talk about the middle of nowhere in this movie. Yeah, so we're setting the scene here. He's, um, as we said, he's in the middle of nowhere. He's um, supposed to meet this uh, mysterious person, George Kaplan. Um, And uh, mentioned before, there's no score. We've just got some eerie, windy sound effects. We've got the, the plane buzzing in the background. I do love how they show the plane briefly. And he does kind of stare at it for a moment. But then they just sort of move away from it. And just sort of let that sound be in the background. So you know it's there, but you're not really knowing that it's going to be a key part of what's going to happen next. Right. It's something you'd expect to see when you're out right. in the middle of just a bunch of farmland is, well, there's someone uh, dusting their crops. Just, yeah. Just like just like you do. Train of thought. You mentioned Indiana and in the, uh, the breakdown there. And this is supposed to be Indiana. Uh, in fact, they put Indiana highway signs up as mm. the props to make you think. Like, oh, like Indiana, but um, yeah, this is clearly just in California. Right. Uh, not, I wouldn't say clearly, but this is uh, the location is Wasco, California, about one mile north of Highway 46 on Derry Corcoran Road. Hmm. So it's, it's one of those places you could go visit and say, hey, I went to the place where Gary Grant ran from a plane, but you could really go to any kind of farmland area and just say that. <laughs> This this is funny that it is out in the middle of nowhere, but there is a bus stop there. So yeah. these these folks do have a bus that runs uh, probably once or twice a day through here. So um, at least they've got that; they can get to the big city if they need to. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's 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 handy. It reminds you how important mass transit is. And right, I love that, that bus. Doesn't care about mass transit. <laughs> right, I, I do love that bus. We'll talk about it when we get to it. But that's like a, a great looking old style bus. I love oh yeah, bus. it's like like an airstream with like a yeah. little something on top. A yeah, it looks like something. a toaster or something. It's awesome. Yeah. All right, should we? Um, let's get to some of the action here. Should we get to part two? Let's do it. Part two, really diving into, well, not quite, but a little great bit setup here. Action. Yeah, yeah. Part two is a great setup here. All right. So we're going to talk about essentially the next two and a half minutes of the movie from uh, one hour, nine minutes and five seconds up to one hour, 11 minutes and 38 seconds. So all of a sudden a green car emerges from behind a nearby row of corn. Looks like corn in a field across the highway from Roger. The car approaches the highway Then it stops when it reaches the main road. A man in a suit and a hat exits the vehicle still across the highway from Roger. And then the green car drives away after performing a three-point turn. The man in the hat stands quietly on the other side of the highway as Roger then approaches him. Roger makes small talk, asks the man in the hat if he's waiting to meet someone. The man in the hat tells Roger that he's just waiting for the bus and makes some small talk about these crop duster pilots. Mm -hmm. Roger asks if the man in the hat is George Kaplan. 
The man in the hat says he's not. A bus pulls up, that awesome bus, pulls up, and uh, he mentions that the crop duster in the plane in the distance is strangely dusting where there ain't no crops. Mm-hmm. The man in the hat boards the bus and gives Roger a funny look, and then the bus departs. Roger checks his watch. Hmm. 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 This is a good, uh, what I take away from this is, uh, this guy's a, a red herring. Yes. Right. Like he, you see the car pull out, pulls up, he gets out, he's wearing a suit. Right. So at the very first thing, Oh, maybe this is a guy, maybe this is George. He's been dropped off. The car mysteriously drives away behind the corn. He's just standing there They have that really great shot after the guy gets out and the car drives away. The camera cuts to a wide shot of both yes. of them just standing kind of awkwardly on both sides of the highway. Mm-hmm. It's a really great shot. And and then they begin their conversation. But we find out that he's just a guy, he's right. just some dude waiting for the bus. And, and he gets on once that bus pulls up almost as fast as he showed up, <laughs> he just steps on that bus and disappears. And that character has gone, never to be seen again. So it's a great little device to kind of keep the tension going. Yeah in a scene where not much is happening. Mm-hmm. So it's really clever, I thought. Yeah, it's it's like your classic case of uh, you're like looking for like your lost cat or dog in the neighborhood. You're like, have you seen it? And the person's like, yeah. No. And you just kind of move on. It's like, it's very much the same. Like, are you, are you George Kaplan? I mean, like I was mentioned earlier, the order of events of how things are revealed by now, we already know that there's no George Kaplan. They've shown us. Um, yeah. You find that out pretty early in the movie, don't you? Yeah. So this would be, man, I just try to like in my mind's eye, like just show someone the events out of order, show that scene after this. Mm. And then the whole audience thinks this is George Kaplan because at this moment, like we know this can't be him. We know this has to be someone else, but at the same time, we don't know if this is another agent out to get, Roger Thornhill, or if it's you know someone on the government side, and it just turns out it's, uh, it's just one of a these guy. <laughs> commuters in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, you're right. That's a really good point. If they had withheld that information just a little bit longer, yeah, it would have made this little this little moment even even more tension even more tension filled. Yeah. And and yeah, this guy just turns out to be a guy and gets on the bus. I I, I have to think like any other filmmaker might have gone a little bonkers with it. Like, like if this was a David Lynch film, like this guy would have come out from behind the corn and like had weird eyes and started <laughs> telling him about what he's going to dream later that night or something, you know, sure. like, but he just turns out to be like a little kind of a country bumpkin and chats about the crop dusters and then gets on the bus. That's funny. What? That plane's dusting crops where there ain't no crops. I could certainly see influence on Lynch from this movie, especially this scene where there's just shots of just like nothing happening. But at the same time, the tension is absolutely building. Like it's it's something Lynch is really good about like, well, I'm just going to show you a picture of, uh, you know, this (laughs) something weird, this this alley. (laughs) Right. And you're like, crap. Like I'm, the tension is rising, even though like, I, I, I don't want something. I don't want him to keep showing me this empty, space and that's all this scene is it's just so much empty space until you know the proverbial bomb goes off until right the the, the chase ensues but um this this guy's main main role here his his one line is really other than saying he's not George Kaplan yeah. uh, is to basically foreshadow 
uh, the action to come. And and I've seen it mentioned on the YouTube comments because I love watching the YouTube clips of these scenes and then seeing what people say. Yeah. Uh, and um, probably my favorite one is someone reading really deep into the scene and saying that this guy and his quick interaction with Roger Thornhill is um, sizing up Roger to be like a trustworthy person that he can at least point something a little bit odd out. And that is this little bit of information about the crop duster dusting where there's no crops, like um, almost like a little bit of a warning if, um, right. If, if, if you're, if you're on, what's the word I'm looking for? If, if you're on alert and right. giving you something to be alert about a little bit, because we've seen the plane, um, we see it again when they both look over at it. Um, so maybe we could possibly take this as something like a, a warning. Yeah, because you're hearing this plane all throughout this scene, just kind of quietly buzzing in the background. And they do occasionally cut back to it, or you just see it fly across the background. And then when this guy explicitly points points it out, well, he brings it up before, you know, those crop dusters make a lot of money. So now our attention is on the plane. Mm-hmm. Right now we're thinking about it. They show it one more time. And then that ominous line where, hmm, that plane's not doing what it's supposed to be doing. Yes. And and now just with that one little line, the tension in the scene has, you know, tripled. And you're like, "Wait, what's going on here? This is so weird. What is happening out on this highway?" And uh well, we'll talk about what happens, but uh then things go haywire. Yeah. Yeah, this this lost highway if you will. Hey yo. Hey yo. Hey, yo. That's yo. a David Lynch movie. <laughs> um <laughs> What else? Anything else about this little setup scene here? Uh, yeah, we're going to talk a lot of action here coming up. So just I, I made a like a small list of other famous crop field scenes or just like really oh, yeah. farm field scenes, farmland scenes, because uh, this scene is right used over and over in other movies. Like it's such a strong yeah, it's like scene. It just, I, I knew of this scene before I even knew yes. what movie it was from. Like it's it's been parodied a bunch of times. You mm-hmm. you'll see it on clips or in commercials or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I, I wrote I wrote some examples here, and you might have uh, other examples. Um, I will I will say this is like the gosh, like I think I mentioned like Bond before James Bond. There's a really famous scene in from Russia with love, I mm. believe it is where um, they use this scene as inspiration for a helicopter trying to um, take oh, out James Bond. Okay. That sounds um, vaguely familiar. Yeah. Yeah. And the, then the helicopter ends up crashing. I believe I did watch that scene and I linked it mm. somewhere there. I might've linked it um, in another, another area, but other, other, kind of corny scenes would be or corny movies would be field of dreams where he, he builds a baseball field in the corner. Sure. Um, and then they actually played a major league baseball game in that uh, field of dreams this yep. year, uh, the yep. white Sox and the Yankees. And like the home runs were literally going into the cornfields, which I thought was so cool. <laughs> um, signs, the movie in night Shyamalan movie with Mel Gibson uh, sure. about the crop circles, uh, Forrest Gump where Ginny is praying to God to make her a bird, make oh, me a bird yeah. so I can fly away. So sad. Yeah, that whole movie's yeah, just a big ball of sadness when you <laughs> when you, when watch you really it. think about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like oh my god. Um, yeah. Jurassic Park: Lost World has a famous scene where people are running from 
the raptors in the field and the oh, tall grass. Right. And yeah, they just yeah. go, they're just like yanked out of, out of the picture. That's right. Uh, <laughs> I had to write children of the corn. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty famous cornfield scene. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And, um, starring Linda uh, Hamilton. Yeah. Linda Hamilton. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, stay away from the corn. He who walks behind the rose. Do I have that right? Something like that. The, yeah. Well, remember the corn movies are, are well, this, this is my opinion, but not very good. Not even the first one, I don't think. <laughs> I watched the first one because I, I went through a period where I was like catching up on like what are deemed like kind of classics, you know, right. and it's in the 70s King, right? and 80s. And it's the Stephen King. And I was like, well, I got to watch the original Children of the Corn. Ah, no, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. Not really. <laughs> it's not that good. <laughs> right. There's I like mean, nine sequels and they're all terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it's like real corn, right? Like you have to use real corn, like in such a way to make it delicious. It's not to me, corn is just not itself delicious. Like off mm. the top, I'm not a big corn fan, but you give me like a, you know some Fritos and then I'm all over it. And, <laughs> right? There's some, there's some good uses of corn out there. Um, I like the corn. You got to just like slather it in butter and salt. Yeah, and and maybe some like you ever, you ever have like the corn on the cob where they put like the cojita cheese on it, like like the. <laughs> Like in Nacho Libre? Yeah. Oh. Get that corn out of my face! Get that corn out of my face! Yeah. <laughs> you can buy it from like the corn vendors on the corner. Oh man, that stuff's good. Mm. <laughs> Some good good corn eating. Um, I'd say the last thing that stood out to me corn-wise, not even corn-wise, <laughs> just farmland-wise, is <laughs> corn-wise. Corn-wise. <laughs> this is I our new podcast. Corn. <laughs> this is corncast. It's corn cast. Corn band with Jeff and John. <laughs> it's corn at all. Talk uh, all things corn. All things corn. Um, I don't know if you click on that YouTube link. That's not a Rickroll. That'll take you to the <laughs> Lee Marvin. Oh, Jim I meant Ackman. to watch that. I didn't watch it. I'm a bad co-host. If, if you just click on it, like right away, you're going to see, oh, it's, uh, it's them running from the combine harvester in a farm or in a field <laughs> and they're clearly oh, yeah. being chased and it's yeah the, the 1972 movie prime cut like Wait, does the, is the harvester like alive is it going to try to eat them no it's not like a maximum overdrive kind of harvester oh. it's just like a fat guy farmer is dumb him. fat guy yeah dumb fat guy probably hired by the <gasps> bad guys i can't remember if do we see them Ackman get eaten no, or, or but, chopped up by this thing. No, no, because oh. these are the main characters running. But you do see someone drive a car into it. Holy uh, cow! After someone, sh- someone drives the car into it, shoots the fat farmer. <laughs> dead. And this fat farmer is like, oh, looks he's, like a kid, like a sixteen-year-old kid. Are you watching yeah. this at all? Yeah, he's. I'm watching it right now. He's so sweaty. And why are they just running straight? Like, take a hard left. Yes, Come on, people. Exactly. Go up a hill. Oh, I don't man. know. Throw a rock in the way, but like I have they, never heard of Prime Cut before. Wow, I I don't know how I didn't hear of it either. I think the way I heard of it is I was reading um, JB's review of North by Northwest mm. on F this movie uh, many months ago uh, when I was looking up information about this scene, and he makes reference to Prime Cut, and I like Prime Cut was not referenced at all in the um, TV tropes mm. for North by Northwest, and like the you know, the running in an open field away from something. Um, but JB made mention of it. Then you click on it. You're like, Oh my gosh. Like this is just like the North by Northwest scene. Just done with a car combine. Harvester. The giant combine. Yeah. <laughs> and they show basically a full minute of the combine harvester afterwards, just eating the car and spitting out pieces of the car. It's wow. It's ridiculous. And it's, 
one of those things that when as you watch, you're like, I just can't help but appreciate the <laughs> the dedication right. to, to showing this. Just hold the camera on it, eat up yeah. that car. Oh man, that's great. All right. Yeah. Thanks. That was a fun watch. <laughs> yeah. And the rest of it, I think, is like thriller suspense movie about the beef industry. <laughs> not kidding. I'm not kidding. It's not as interesting as Corncast. Corncast. Stephen John. I think We Hate Movies did a corncast on the band Corn, and they're just oh, yeah. <laughs> tearing it apart. It was it's so funny to hear. We draw our R's forward <laughs> right right is it the r that's written okay must be because it starts with the k o backwards the, the r is backwards i'm almost all odds I, are us who do i had this. right i had one corn cd when i was in high school i remember mm. the r being backwards mm. yeah um okay should we get to part three where the action is let's talk about part three where the action is part three now this is going to be basically the last four minutes of the scene Um, Taking us up to one hour, 15 minutes, and 57 seconds. As Roger looks out at the crop duster plane on the horizon, the crop duster stops dusting and banks hard in Roger's direction. Roger looks on, and the plane descends while nearing Roger's location. The plane continues descending towards Roger, and then he dives for the ground as the plane buzzes mere feet above him. He looks up to see the plane quickly bank back towards him again, and he dives again as the plane buzzes above him. And this time, gunfire erupts and bullets spray, and dirt dirt flies around Roger. The plane takes a longer time circling back towards him, and he unsuccessfully tries to flag down a car. The plane once again banks towards him, and this time he runs. Before diving towards the road, once again, gunfire and bullets erupt around him. Roger spies and runs toward a nearby row of corn while the plane buzzes said cornfield on the second pass over the corn the plane sprays its crop dusting agent dicks causing <laughs> roger to cough <laughs> those dicks ah, dicks that must have been gross uh he looks to exit the corn rows and he spies an approaching tanker truck on the highway sprints to the highway stands in the truck's path as the plane tries to buzz him for one final time the plane then slams into the tanker truck, exploding on impact. The drivers jump out of the truck and tell Roger to get away. Roger scurries away as the truck-plane combo explodes again. Some passers-by in cars, they stop to look at the truck and the plane wreckage. And then Roger steals one of the trucks, <laughs> exiting the scene of the chase. He goes and full GTA at the end. He Dude, does, I like, love, I love that when he just jumps in the truck and is like, "Fuck you guys, I'm out." Takes that yeah. thing. You would do um, this in a Grand Theft Auto game. Someone's chasing in an airplane. You're like, "Well, I'm gonna hijack this truck and then right. get out of here." As yeah, some chaos erupts behind me. Uh, so this is the the culmination of of what we've been building up to, and um. I love how he stands when at the very first time the the plane comes in and tries to to buzz him or or hit him. He stands and watches it fly at him for a really long time. Way long. I love it. Yeah, and but it it is kind of how you would react like, wait, that plane's not coming directly at me, is it? No, it right. could be. It couldn't be. And it's not to the last second he's like, "Oh shit." And then yeah. dives to the ground and it sinks in the plane is actually trying to get him. Pretty great. Yeah, I mean, just just terrifying. I think I have to think like for a time, kind of like Jaws made you kind of scared to go in the water, a lot scared to go in the water. Mm -hmm. I just have to wonder like 
this was a, a top 10 movie for the year um, earnings wise. And it's yeah. clearly a, a favorite now when many people have seen it and call it one of the best movies ever. I, I have to think like when people look up and see planes like this nature, like the crop dusting variety, I have to think like people think back to this, back to this scene. People think, yeah. wow, like, like, like what, what's the stop this plane from buzzing me? And like, what, what am I going to do if I had to run and, and dive and hide and my mission trip had left me back there. Uh, <laughs> like, I, 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 it's just so, I don't know. It's, it's so every day it turns like this everyday moment, like of just standing around, like you're just watching a plane in the sky to this uh, do or die situation, this, this uh, yeah. lethal situation. And they do a couple things here that I think really helps to ramp up the danger and the tension mm. in the scene. And, and one on the first pass by, there's no gunshots. No. So you're scared, like, whoa, that was crazy. You just had to hit him with the plane. But you're like, okay, I mean, how close can you really get with a crop dusting plane? Right. And then on the second pass, we get the machine gun bullets. You're like, oh, shoot, he's really in trouble now because that's bad. <laughs> yeah. And then the other thing is, is it's kind of like the movie Duel. They, they never mm -hmm. show the person who's flying the plane. Right. So it kind of feels like this, you know, sort of just sort of uh, ominous presence. There's, you know, some unknown figure that's flying the plane. We never get to see who they are, what they look like. Um, and that makes it even scarier, I think. Yes. We have no idea who's flying the plane, why, and we're never really given an explanation. So. We're just a freaking evil plane, a la, like we're talking about Stephen King, yeah. Maximum Overdrive. Right. Steam. It feels like, yeah, Duel. It feels like one of those kinds of movies. Yeah. Right. Just like the plane is evil. The plane is out to get you. You don't know anything about the people, right? We talked about the whole third act already of this scene, but you never learn anything about the people in the plane. You don't no. see them. You don't cut to them. So it's just this. Oh my gosh, I'm just watching the scene now. It's just this this terrifying malevolent force that's right. It's man versus an airplane armed with guns. <laughs> like there's there's not much chance you can be given Cary Grant's character right here. It's only through sheer dumb luck that he's saved toward the end. Right. Well, we would be remiss to if we didn't mention that one of the most famous shots of the whole movie is right here. Mm -hmm. The the shot where Cary Grant is running kind of at the camera. And yes, the airplanes flying behind him, getting closer and closer and closer. I mean, that's the thing they always show when they show a clip from this movie or they're doing like, you know, top, top 20 classic film clips or whatever. Like that's always included right there. Yeah. It, and it's, you know, it's, it's a longer take, which is something you and I love. Yeah, it's so an much. amazing shot. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. I'm watching it now. It goes from what? one twelve fifty four. No, sorry. one twelve fifty seven. Right. It's, it, it's up there. It's that good rule of thirds. If you're thinking about photography or uh, video rule of thirds states mm. that if you cut vertical lines down the screen, you have like a left, a right and a middle. Um, and it starts the scene starts the frame with uh, Cary Grant and the right, the plane coming from the distance and coming at you uh, <laughs> on the left. And then Cary Grant ends up taking up the middle of the screen as the plane comes also toward the middle, right over his shoulder. And yeah, that's a good 12 or 13 second shot of him turning away from the plane, running towards the camera, the, the plane coming closer and closer. Um, I guess I'm also like 
with the front of the plane being circular like that, I'm also thinking of like a, a train, like an engine coming in, uh, train right. engine coming down the tracks, <clears throat> and how unstoppable of a force that feels. And they use they use a real plane for some of these shots. Is is yes. that right? Yeah. Oh, indeed. Yeah, I think we have two planes. When did the the old plane research? Uh, one plane for search. the chasing <laughs> plane, plane cast. Plane cast with Jeff and Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> Played it all with Jeff and John. <laughs> Cornholing with Jeff and John. <laughs> Planes and corn with Jeff Planes and John. <laughs> For all you plane and corn enthusiasts. <laughs> The podcast where we talk about planes and corn. <laughs> you only have to one destination now. <laughs> no longer do you have to go two places. Come uh, listen to us for all your planes and corns needs. Hey, speaking of planes, uh, so they used one plane for the chase and one one plane for the crashing and blowing up. Oh, nice. So two different planes you have. Uh, the flying plane is a naval aircraft factory in 3 in Canary, a World War II Navy pilot trainer, sometimes converted for mm. dusting. Ah. The aircraft that hits the truck and explodes is a wartime Stearman Boeing Model 75 trainer. So we should talk about that explosion because that is a great movie explosion. <laughs> it's, it, it totally reminds me of James Bond again because the, <laughs> the dudes who jump out of the oil yes. tanker, they're wearing yes. these big aviators and they look like bad guys too. <laughs> right, right, they do. And it's that, um, it's that real orange and black explosion, right? Yes. Like, like what fuel looks like when it catches on fire, right? Real thick black smoke. Um, and it's like a big, like ball, like orange ball uh, that explodes out of it. It's really great. It's not like the, um, like the sparks flying explosion of like an eighties uh, Chuck Norris movie. Let's no. say it's it's like more dense. It's hard. I, I don't know. It's hard to explain. Right, kind of like the Raiders explosion where yeah, and the, uh, the 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 airplane um, has the gasoline that leads to the fuel truck and. That explodes and right, right, right. causes the bad guy to see the explosion. Jones! 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 Um, but yeah, I mean, the, <laughs> it's, it's just so funny that, that that comes to this, that after chasing <laughs> him through the corn and dusting the corn with the gas to get him out of there, the pesticide, that these people are so hell-bent on killing this guy with the plane that they run into the truck I, I, it's just it just boggles the mind what what they're thinking because I mean if this is a skilled enough pilot to um, lay down gunfire right next to his head that they couldn't avoid a, a tanker truck. Yeah, that 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 would be my only little like quibble with uh, you know realism here is like is he really going to hit that truck? I mean. <laughs> Uh, and I love that they do. I love that they do. It's, I know, it's, no, it's just... it's great. Like I'm glad that it does hit the truck. <laughs> but um, I mean, come on, like he was. That's not even where he was standing in the road. If the plane was uh, conceivably like flying towards him, towards Roger, mm-hmm. um, at the very least, it would have been near the front of the truck, right? Because that's where Roger was standing. So, like, why does the plane like inexplicably like? veer to the right and land and go right into like the fuel tank or whatever that it was, right. you know, so eh, a little bit of a quibble there, but I'm certainly glad they made that decision. Cause we all get to see the giant explosion, which is a very nice payoff for this 
six or seven minute scene. Yeah. All that said, this is just excellence in editing and um, constructing the shot because you're just the, the whole time he's running towards the truck. You're still feeling the chase. Yeah. As soon as he goes under the truck, like your mind maybe is thinking like, okay, he's lucky he escaped like the plane will leave him alone. And instead like it just cuts right to the plane looking like it's totally out of control. All of a sudden, <laughs> right, right to the truck. And you're like, Oh no, this is, this is going to end badly in one way or the other. <laughs> and, yeah, you, you have to think that either the people died in the plane or whatever evil soul was possessing the plane in, in, in the name of killing uh, this George Kaplan fake person. Um, right. Was, was engulfed. <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh, what a great, it's such a great explosion. So good. Yeah, it's, it's a good explosion. Um, oh yeah, I, right. Something else I want to talk about is what would you do in, in such a situation? You, I, I, cause I think he does, he probably does the correct thing. And then in doing the, um, doing the Tom Cruise run into the corn. Yeah. I, By the way, he totally has a Tom Cruise run. I think I, he does. I, yeah. Yeah. He's, one, he, yeah. Go he's got the no. He's got the Tom Cruise like the arms moving yes. uh, on his sides. Yeah, um, not just when he's running towards the camera and ducks down, but also right after that he gets up and like it's that tracking shot as they're moving yeah. the camera right along next to him, and he's yeah, just cutting yeah. the air with his arms. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's only a few seconds, but it's one of the comments I put on the video on YouTube is like, that is, that is some Tom Cruise running. <laughs> Cary Grant looks in shape. He looks like, you know, athlete. he, he looks good in this movie yeah. uh, for being 55. He's uh he's in shape. He's a, uh, you know, handsome man. Yeah. Looks good. I, I guess, I don't know if he's pulling down the 26 uh, year old uh, <laughs> hot blonde on the train, but uh, you know, maybe, maybe he's got that distinguished look. Um, that's, that's good enough. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, to answer your question, I, I think he made the right choice. I, that's the only that's the only way, right? You have to go to escape to the corn. It's the only cover you have. It's the only way you have to hide. There's right. nothing else there. You would you would go to the corn and then hopefully it's like try to find a a house or a barn or or just hide in there until the plane eventually gives up and leaves. Yeah. The only the only danger with that is what the plane just starts flying back and forth, spraying machine gun bullets into the corn. Right. Well, first they do the pesticide thing. Yeah, that sucks too. Right. Can't yeah. can't really breathe that. I and mean, you can eat fruit that's been dusted with pesticide, I guess, but um, shouldn't be. Yeah, he there. takes a mouthful of that. It's gross. Oh yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, and this that is just knocked a couple of years off of his life. I think. Exactly. So they're probably methoding him right there. They're probably really just laying down some real, real smoke. No, I'm sure. It's just, <laughs> just a bunch paper. of dudes with cigars blowing it <laughs> onto the stuff. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, hiding in the corn is probably your best bet, and it's got to be. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think it's just a stroke of luck that Luke or not Lucas Oil, Magnum Oil. Um, the Magnum oil tanker truck pulls up and uh, the note from that is that Alfred Hitchcock's daughter, Patricia uh, revealed that her husband worked at the time of the filming for Magnum oil. And it's funny that that's what they put on the truck and blow up. <laughs> so an actual company name, it's not like a, a company name they made up, but no, it's, it's an actual oil company name. Huh? Interesting. Yeah. 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 Well, I think we did this scene. It's it's due diligence. Um, did you have anything else to add before we wrap things up here and 
do recommends and talk about our next scene? Yeah, a couple of things because you know how I love, love, love my TV tropes. I always go to the TV tropes oh, when of course. I'm in need of good references to reach for um, or to reach around to. Don't know why you say it like that. That's weird. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> this is our second scene we've talked about where a hero steals a ride. Uh, the first time uh, was, that we talked Ter- about was Terminator 2. Oh, this is the third time. Third time. <laughs> I mean, Terminator 2, it happens, well, it's John's dirt bike, but... Mm, but he steals, he steals the semi-truck, right? The, well, but that's not the hero. It's not the hero. Oh, you're right. You're right. But Arnold, earlier in the movie, before that, has definitely stolen that bike. Right. That's true. Um, yeah. But, right, Stallone did it also in First Blood in our scene, in the chase scene. Oh, yes. Man, okay. we've talked a lot of chase scenes, haven't we? I think most of our... Most of our scenes have involved some sort of chase, whether mm. it be uh, the chase scene in First Blood, or I'm losing, I'm, lo- I'm losing my, losing my notes here. Let me go back real fast. Scene at home with Jeff and John. Scene at home SSD. Uh, there is a chase, a little bit happening in Super Troopers. Really, oh, yeah. pulled him over to prevent the chase. I guess. Um, yeah, we. So we talked about Terminator 2, of course, being a bit the the first episode for this uh, podcast was a chase scene, Terminator yeah. 2. First blood first in there. Blood. Yep. And yeah, so this is our third chase scene. Yeah, this One, is kind of a chase two. scene. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. It's a short chase. Like if you were to map this out, you'd say like, oh, hmm. he ran like across the street a couple times. But just the scope of it with the airplane zipping down and yeah, trying to take him out over and over again. Yeah, little tiny chase, but iconic chase nonetheless. Um, there's some other hero stole my bike moments, which is the name of this trope where he steals. He's the good guy and he steals someone's vehicle. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't apologize for it. He doesn't yeah. say like, he like, needs it. Line. It's a matter of life or death. Yeah. Matter of life. Or, yeah. I, yeah. It's like, I have to, I have to get back to the dame who betrayed me or double crossed me. It's, it's nothing like that. It's just, yeah. I mean, and on that note, like he, there's no one-liners at all from him in this scene. It's, it's. I think probably the only scene in this movie where Cary Grant's not given a one-liner, not being right. snarky or quippy or winking at the camera. It's just. <laughs> I think the only thing he says is, "Are you, right? are you, are you George Kaplan?" To the guy who says, "You know, I'm not." Right. And then the guy hops on a bus. Uh, other than that, that's his only line in this. Um, so you said you got some other scenes yeah, that are yeah. steal steal my bike or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, in Last Crusade, Indiana's father uh, steal a guy's car as the guy's working on the wheel. Oh yeah, um, it's a funny moment where the guy's trying to put on the hubcap and they pick the car and <laughs> that's falls right to Jack and like, the hubcap <laughs> goes flying off. Um, let's see, what else do we have? Uh, the Rock, Nicholas Cage does this. Is that where he's? What does he steal? Does he steal a Hummer or a Ferrari? I oh yeah, it it's like a Lambo or a Ferrari or something. Okay, yeah. yeah it's and like Sean Connery's in the Hummer. Do I have that right? Uh, gosh, I need to rewatch The Rock. Maybe I'll choose it for our next scene. <laughs> okay, uh, I love uh, that movie though. Yeah that's, yeah, that's a solid one. Welcome to The Rock. The Rock, dude. <laughs> Uh, Force Awakens, Ray and Finn are escaping uh, the, I was going to say the Empire, they're escaping uh, the First Order and the Millennium Falcon. Mm. Uh, let's see. Anything else where the hero steals the bike? 
Naked Gun, Frank Drebin does this in the baseball scene. You could argue where he's stealing the uniforms, like he's stealing the roles of the people of uh, first Enrico Palazzo uh, and then the umpire. Yeah. <laughs> like he's just taking out good guys. He's not attacking right. the bad guys. Did you mention Marty McFly and Back to the Future, like with the skateboard, as kind of an example? Oh, right, right, right. He does that where he rips the scooter apart. In yeah. 1950. I love that scene. Yeah, but then he gives it back to the kid at the end, but, you know, he takes it for the moment. <laughs> right. He says yeah. the kid's hoverboard and... Back to the Future 2. Right, right, right. And everybody goes crazy thinking that hoverboards are going to be a thing and they never are. No. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. True Lies, Arnold steals a horse from a police officer. Oh, yeah. I remember that. That's right. Funny cutaway for that. Um, And I think that's... I think that's all the ones I had there. It's a good list. You know, the only other thing I didn't mention from the end of this scene is this entire scene has no score until that plane hits the tanker truck and all of a sudden the score comes back and it just reminds you you didn't when i was watching it i didn't realize there was not a score necessarily or kind of forgot that there was no score and then when that tanker truck explodes and it comes right back in it's such a great moment and it sort of like snaps you out of your little mesmerizing uh state that you were in while watching that scene and uh I would be remiss if I didn't mention that, but um, that's another great way that that scene ends. Besides him stealing the truck, which is fantastic. <laughs> it's, I mean, yeah, but, yeah, he—he's definitely. It, uh, if I didn't, yeah, if I said he wasn't necessarily being like winky wink, quippy quip in this scene, he's still the—he's still the George, he's still the Roger Thornhill character <laughs> here, where the people come out and he's very almost like Frank Drebin, where he's just kind of like gesturing, like, oh, there's like. Over there is this explosion, and everybody's looking. He's kind of backing away, <laughs> and, then <he> steals, <laughs> and then he steals the truck with, I guess, the fridge in it. It's so funny to me. It's so funny. <laughs> but you're right. That score kicks in, and you just can't help but, like, all of a sudden feel like, right, oh, this is like a danger scene. Uh, there's 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 danger afoot. Even though, like, the threat for now is neutralized, like, like he's in no way out of danger by any means because um, – yeah. The last person he was trusting here in the movie uh, now betrayed him by giving him this location to go to where he was ultimately almost killed by a plane and gunfire and pesticide. And it really kind of drives us into the second half of the film. I mean, this scene is almost smack dab right in the center of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it really is literally like a centerpiece of the movie. And, mm-hmm. and uh, it, you know, the whole first half is building up with all these mistaken identities and who is this person? And is he going to meet this person? Is he, is Eve on his side or not? And then this happens and you're like, Oh, he's in real danger. Like it's not just, you know, some government agents trying to, uh, you know, track him down or, or make him pretend he's George or whatever, but there's actually some people out there trying to kill him. Mm-hmm. And um, and then the second half of the film has real stakes to it. Right. Yeah. What's at stake? What's at stake? What's at stake? I guess we, we never shared that one, but I mean, it's pretty obvious what's at stake. We just that, did. Yeah. We yeah just he's, did. he's having to survive a, a plane encounter. Yeah. In the middle of nowhere <laughs> without his mission buddies around. They're all building their houses in Tijuana. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, have we done it? I think so. Um um, I mentioned this before, but it's worth repeating again that the first James Bond movie is not even out yet. Uh, in, in fact, um, I think he was one of the choices for James Bond, 
uh, before they went with Connery three years later in Dr. No. Ah. Uh, and then they pay homage, homage. <laughs> uh, they honor this scene <laughs> in From Russia with Love with a helicopter uh, chasing Sean Connery's James Bond through the mountains uh, before he shoots it out of the sky. Right. Uh, but, but I, w- I would argue like this is the big thing that kicks off this spy craze. There were, there were a lot of novels at the time. There were a lot of spy movies that Alfred Hitchcock had made, but there is that there's not yet that one big franchise, uh, that mainstay franchise of spies that is just continuously going until three years later. And I see this movie as totally a James Bond movie before there were James Bond movies. Right. Right. Romance. Totally. The the action. Action. The big set pieces. Mm -hmm. Explosions. Identities. Yeah. Double crosses. Yeah. Mount Rushmore. It's, it, you're really right. Like when, when you first mentioned that, I was like, oh, it can't, that can't be like, that true and then i watched it i was like oh yeah that's true <laughs> yeah all the Does train it. scenes like I yeah mean, they're still making james bond movies with train scenes um, yeah lots of uh transportation in this yeah. film yeah, yeah well, even, even though they're not country hopping they're you know hopping right right um, within the united states it's all very different locations from right, the downtown uh new york scenes i think it's new york um, to here in Indiana, aka California, <laughs> right, uh, North Dakota, um, yeah, just just hopping location to location, uh, and and really, I think paving the way for um, right, the film franchise uh, of James Bond. Yeah. All right. So this came out in 1959. 59. Our top ten grossing films of 1959. Number one, Ben Hur. Yeah. Number two. The Shaggy Dog. (laughs) (laughs) Then we go Operation Petticoat, Some Like It Hot, Pillow Talk, Imitation of Life. I don't know that one. Suddenly Last Summer, Rio Bravo, The Nun's Story, North by Northwest came in nine. And number 10 is Anatomy of a Murder. Mm-hmm. So there's some classics in there in 59. Um, I don't know a lot about classic film, but there are some classics on this list that you know, I know our classics. <laughs> yeah. I haven't but, necessarily seen Pillow Talk, but I know it's a classic, you know? I like, I really like Some Like It Hot. That's a really good one. That's <clears throat> Marilyn Monroe, mm. Jack Lemon, And, oh man, it's been a long time since I saw that one. Yeah. Uh, but that's just a, a classic movie. Again, another mistaken identity movie. Yeah. So America's loving the mistaken identity movies. They love those mix-ups. That was such a trope of like 50s and 60s sitcoms. Mm-hmm. If you watch those old sitcoms, like it seems like every one of those old sitcoms had like a mixed-up identity episode. It happens all the time. And I always, honestly, I always hated them when I was a kid. <laughs> Because I was always like, someone just needs to tell them what's going on. This isn't that hard to figure out. No. Just say it. Just right. It's all about miscommunication. Yes. It's all miscommunication. And then the whole episode is because someone didn't say something to somebody else. I'm like, oh, it's so annoying. (laughs) I mean, that's Shakespeare plays in a nutshell, too. I mean, hundreds of years ago, just... Oh, just tell them how you're feeling. Just tell them the ghost that you're seeing. Come right, on. right. <laughs> Your uncle is evil. Just tell someone. Oh, all right. Well, I think we should wrap things up here. Should we do recommends and then reveal the next film? Let's do it. 
Should I go first? Yeah, let's go. Recommends Jeff first. Okay. All right. I'm going to do a um, quick recommend here. I feel like sometimes I, I go on a little too long on my recommends, but uh, I'm going to recommend a, a show. This is a comedy. It's been out for a while, but I am just now discovering it. I have a friend of mine who's been trying to get me to watch this uh, TV show for several years now. And so I finally took him up on it and I'm glad I did. This show is um, out of Canada and it is available on Hulu and it's called Letter Kenny. Have you ever seen Letter Kenny? Letter Kenny? Letter Kenny. Yeah. No, I, I never heard of Letter Kenny. <laughs> I think you would like it. Letter Kenny, it's the name of the town that these people live in. So it's about a, a group of. Um, it's a brother and a sister and a group of friends, and they all live in this town, this small Canadian town called Litterkenny, and there's a bunch of funny different characters in the town. And uh, it's just a silly show where every episode is just some goofy scenario they get themselves in. And uh, what's really funny about the show is the, the writing and the dialogue and the interaction between the characters. And... Uh, there's not a whole lot of a plot to the film or to the to the show. Um, it's really just what funny scenario can we put these characters in uh, each episode. Okay. And the episodes are short. They're like 20, 25 minutes and uh, hilarious and uh, really easy to just flip one on. And um, <laughs> I can't recommend it enough. They're super, super funny. <laughs> you know what I'm seeing a lot of in the background are cornfields there's a lot of cornfields yeah they're in the okay. middle of nowhere canada yeah so letter check kenny. out check out letter kenny it is uh worth watching and it's it's an easy one to test out because like i said the episodes are like 20 minutes 25 minutes so if you don't if it's not your sense of humor then you're only out a couple minutes uh but if you like it then you got a whole bunch of seasons to watch so definitely okay. check it out and where do you find Letter Kenny? What's the Canadian equivalent of HBO Max? Uh, it's on it's on Hulu. Hulu. You can find it on Hulu, or if you live in Canada, it's probably on one of your Canadian local <laughs> streaming services. I don't it's know. It's on Channel Three. In Canada, <laughs> yeah, it's right? on. Yeah, stream Channel Three. Okay. So that's my recommend, Letter Kenny. I feel like it's Letter. a show that's been out for a while that people who have seen it love it, but not a lot of people are talking about it. Okay, I'll have yeah. to see if it's on. We don't have Hulu, but we do have Prime, and a lot of times you can just buy episodes on Prime. Oh, it looks oh, like sure. you can. Yeah, there 99 cents an episode. What a deal. There you go. What a deal. What do you got to recommend this week, John? Uh, let's see. I'll go with uh, the big movie that just came out last week. I always say that, then it's like, when did we record that? Um, <laughs> it just came out at the uh, in the middle of October. That is Denis Villeneuve's Dune. Oh, you watched Dune? I haven't watched and it yet. I watched it with Mike in the theaters, and it's one that like has just stuck oh. with me. And um, if you watch the David Lynch version from '84, or if you read the books, uh, what I hear is that. This, by and large, has uh, the plot all there, um, mm. including like the twists and turns. But it's only really the first half of the first book, Dune, um, just because it's such a massive story with so many characters. But I think they just like really nailed it. Um, I heard they already greenlit the second part. Yeah, because yeah. the first one ends in uh, Dune, chapter one. Like, okay, like. <laughs> 
what, yeah. chapter two now. So can I ask you a question about Dune? Because I have never read the book Dune and I never saw the um, original adaptation from the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know anything about the story of Dune other than it's like a sci-fi uh, adventure sort of story. Mm-hmm. Um, will I be able to understand it if I watch the new Dune? without having any knowledge of the story previously. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. I, okay. I had very little pre-knowledge of Dune going in. It had been like probably 20 years since I had seen the David Lynch 1984 version. Yeah, I've never seen it. And I, I never read the book either or any mm. of the books. I guess there's like six or seven books out. Yeah. Um, I have since, you know, rewatched the Lynch version, which in my opinion is inferior, but far weirder. Yeah, well, um, it is David Lynch. <laughs> it is David Lynch, um, but still not as weird as Lynch. I think usually delivers. I think yeah, because it's such a big property and big studio. Yeah, it's like a big time. studio film, right? Right. Yeah, that they had, they were cutting around. And you're missing a lot of the uh, a lot of the weirdness, unfortunately. Hmm. Uh, but I just thought it was just really solid, and it delivers. It's straightforward, um, and it's Villeneuve who did. Arrival, which I never saw, but I did see uh, Blade Runner 2049. And Oh, see, I love both of those movies. Yes. So I might like this. You've never seen Arrival? No, no. Oh, it's just man. because I, I think I heard the synopsis and I thought, well, that's not, that's, that's, that's not for me, but maybe it is. It's really, really good. I would, I would suggest giving it a shot because okay. it is, it's really good. It's become one of my favorite sci-fi films of the last 10 years like that and ex machina are like two of my faves from the last decade or so Mm -hmm. and i and it's become like my wife's like favorite film like she will cite arrival as like her favorite movie now okay yeah it's 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 good i you know um, i don't know if anyone will like it as much as my wife does (laughs) but um uh, i i think that's a really fantastic movie it's really well done and compelling and interesting and it's got some really cool ideas in it, so I say. Yeah, you'll you'll find that same exact visual style, and there's a Hans Zimmer score, which I think goes really well with. Uh, oh man! Visual All right, style. I gotta check this out because yeah, Blade Runner twenty forty nine is also one of my fave sci fi movies of the last couple of years. Yeah, my so. wife really liked Blade Runner twenty forty nine, uh, even though maybe like the story wasn't that interesting. It was to her. It was like the visuals were just yeah. Like, dynamite like this guy brings the visuals uh, i'm sure everybody else has also said that about him too but uh, it's just that unparalleled visual style it really made for the big screen in my opinion so it was really neat being right. able to see that uh, on the big screen that's cool man i i will check it out now i was on the fence and now i'm definitely gonna watch it awesome yeah and it's on it's on hbo max yeah um, i've got hbo max 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 <laughs> <laughs> almost made an episode without referencing Max, almost Max, almost Max. <laughs> yeah that's dune and i think the way people are colloquially people are collo- what's the word Colloquial- i think the common Colloquial- name for it is dune 2021 got it uh, uh speaking of mac, 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 um, mac i have a student this year named dylan dylan Dylan, Dylan. <laughs> Sweet. I don't I don't have a Dylan or a Mac for the first time. I, oh, long, long I have a Dylan and every Dylan, time Dylan. I have to bite my tongue not to go Dylan, 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 Dylan. <laughs> son of a bitch. Dylan, Dylan. You son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs>
Dylan. 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 D I Okay. All right. Um, good recommends, everybody. Shall I reveal our next scene? Please. Uh, yeah, this this is the point of the show where um, the uh, the mask comes off and we reveal <laughs> whatever it is we're going to talk about next time. I feel a little bad about this one, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> um, it's uh, pull back the curtain a little bit. We are recording this in October. Um, so Which have- doesn't necessarily mean... Anything spooky related. <laughs> no. I'm sure that this episode won't come out for a while. It'll be past October when you finally can listen to it, but I don't care. Damn I'm it. doing it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry. It's not that bad, but we oh. are going to watch um, one of my, a movie from one of my favorite horror franchises of all time. And it's probably my favorite horror sequel of all time. Uh, maybe it's up there. Uh, but we're going to watch um, Friday the 13th Part 2. should Friday the 13th, 1981, be any different? Friday the 13th, part two. The body count continues. 14. You're all doomed. You're all doomed. 15. God. 16. 17. 18. 19. Friday the 13th before you even said that. <laughs> <laughs> and I I'll, know that's your franchise. <laughs> I'll talk all about why I chose part two. Um, and uh, we'll can get, I guess we'll the scene? Can I guess the scene? You can. I think you probably know. <laughs> is, this, is this machete to wheelchair head? Yes. <laughs> 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 
we're gonna watch the the five or five or six minute run up to uh, when Steve gets the machete in his face, and then the wheelchair flies down the steps. A la Norberg and naked gun. Yes. <laughs> oh, but Friday, Friday the thirteenth part two did it first. I was, I was, I was, yeah, you did it before I did it. Um, but <laughs> nice. I, I was wondering when Friday the 13th would make an appearance. Cause I know it's a classic series to you and horror fans. Like I will admit, like I, I know a lot of the beats for the Friday the 13th movies. I mean, too. it's hard not to. <laughs> <laughs> you seen one, you kind of seen them all. You've seen a lot of them. Right. Um, well, we'll talk. Uh, I got a lot to talk. I got a lot to say about Friday the 13th. So you might have to like, sit back and hold on uh, the next episode. But um, oh, sure. I, I love part two, but also what I love about the series is just how similar each movie is from one to the next. And at the same time, how tonally different they can also be right. um, based on the setting location and the director and the characters they choose to drop into the film. So right. um, we'll talk about it a bit. We'll talk about why I think this is the best group of characters of any Friday movie and um, <laughs> why this is one of the best kills in any Friday movie. So this is this is bag over the head, Jason. Right? This is not this mask is yet. this is bag head, Jason. Yep. The only time we get bag head, Jason. Bag. This is the first movie that uh, Jason is the killer. Right, because yeah. right, and they kind of switch the psycho thing up, and the mom was the killer of the first movie. Right. Yep. Yep. So a lot to unpack here, John. So um, I'm excited. I I um. Yeah, I, I have some things to say. I I have a little. Um, I I did a little project over the summer when it comes to Friday the Thirteenth movies. So, um, oh, I will I will reveal all on next pod. But um, I'm gonna put you through this one. Um, but I promise it's it's worth your your 86 minutes or whatever it is. It's a it's a quick watch, and uh, it's one of the best Friday movies. So get some popcorn, turn off the lights, and and enjoy a, a little scary movie. Oh, will do. I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, I, um, as as much as I don't like scary movies, I love the talk around scary movies. There's yeah. YouTube channels I watch, like Dead Meat. There's <clears throat> podcasts I listen to, which will discuss the movies. I'll probably save one of those podcast names for my recommend next week because they just they they just do the whole horror movie angle so well. I think but sure. I'll, and it's probably someone you've heard of before, but I'll, I'll save that for next week or next week for the next time we record in a couple weeks. Nice. Nice. But I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. Thank you. Otherwise I would not be watching this on my free will. I'm glad you're not dreading it. Um, <laughs> but it is, it is one of my, uh, my favorite uh, horror movies. Definitely one of my favorite slasher movies from the eighties. So mm-hmm. I think it'll be fun. It'll be a fun conversation. All right. Friday the 13th. But does this have a name other than part two? Is this uh, a named sequel? It does not. It does not. The names don't begin until part four. In fact, part four wasn't called part four. It was just called the final chapter. Oh, okay. Yeah. So part three is just part three. Yeah. It was originally part 3D because uh, when it was released in theaters, you could get 3D glasses and they have a bunch of like 3D gags in the movie. Right. Um, but yeah, now it's just referred to as part three. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll watch the movie, do some research and be ready for the next time. Me too. All right. Oh, so as we're wrapping things up, Jeff, where can people find you? Oh yeah. I forgot about that part. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can find me on the Twitter. I am Jeff Glover. You can find me at Carl underscore Hungus 314. My name is Carl. You should be an expert. Find me there on the Twitter sphere. 
John, where can we find you and all things Seen It All with Jeff and John? Uh, we can find us also on Twitter at Seen It All underscore. That is S-C-E-N-E It All underscore. Uh, usually these days I'm retweeting baseball stuff about the World Series because my favorite sports team. Your Braves. Uh, the Braves are in there. Uh, and as we speak. I can't believe we didn't talk about that. I've been meaning to tell you. Congrats. Your Braves are in the series. Hey, thanks. For the first time since 99. Yeah. Uh, and they have what? They, they're they tied now with the Astros one-to-one. One game apiece as they head back to Atlanta in a couple of days. Awesome. So pretty awesome. excited to see them succeed at that level. It's, pre- it's really neat. It's really cool. That's great. Um, yeah. Uh, we're also... We're also on Facebook. Hey, yo. You can find the group. It's just the name of the podcast, Seen It All with Jeff and John. Or you can email the show, seenitallpodcast at gmail.com. And as I say that, allow me to dip into the inbox, the mailbag, if you will. <laughs> what's, what's in the mailbag? <laughs> what's in the mailbag? What's in the bag? All right. What's in the bag? Um, let's see. This message is from <laughs> uh, October 6th. Dear user, your 365 days <laughs> for Norton Total Security has been successfully renewed and updated. Oh. oh, I know this. This is what they call the refund scam, where you call uh, them back and you yeah. say, oh, I don't want this service. I didn't mean to. And they say, oh, we'll refund. And then they pretend to put too much money into your bank account. And yep. then they say, you have to pay us back with Google Play cards or Walmart gift cards. Right. Yeah. Here, just we're do Norton this. Security. That's how we're paid back. <laughs> we can't take normal cash. <laughs> we can't take, right. Or we'll be in trouble. Yeah. Right. We need Macy's gift cards. <laughs> Macy's gift cards. Oh, there's a, there's a fun recommend tangent. Go down, just watch some uh, scam baiting videos. And I, I talked about that a long, a long time ago, three months ago. <laughs> but anyway, those are all our credentials for seeing it all. And for all things seen it all, I've been John Zabriskie. And I am Jeff Glover. And until next time, <sighs> stick around, stick around, stick around, stick around. <laughs> I don't want to say da 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 <laughs> thinking it. You're thinking about it. Yeah. You want a scene, yeah, you want a scene Like when the xenomorph took out Harry Dean You want a scene, yeah, you want a scene Like when Bobby D says you're talking to me You can go to the diner for a meal with Meg You can yell at your class, stab yourself in the leg You can upgrade your boat for when sharks attack And you can be like Arnold, tell him I'll be back You want a scene, yeah, you want a scene Like when the xenomorph took out Harry Dean you want a scene, yeah, you want a scene Like when Bobby D says you're talking to me Jeff and John talk scenes and quotes Jeff improvises while John takes notes From Mozambique to Montreal You can join in the chat on Scene It All You want a scene, yeah, you want a scene Like when the xenomorph took out Harry Dean You want a scene, yeah, you want a scene Like when Bobby D says you're talking to me Seen it all with Jeff and John. One. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Got it. Got him. (laughs) And we're live. And we're live. That's our cold open right there. (laughs)
It's just a bunch of banging on stuff. Yeah, we're back, everybody. <laughs> oh my gosh, it, it, I don't think I, I check the uh, Apple Podcast reviews every once in a while. Oh yeah, because you know when you're yeah when you're not recording and you're like, I wonder if people are actually talking about the show. Like the couple <laughs> came through one right after I released the Naked Gun episode, and one like this last week where oh, nice. Yeah, people are saying they're back from Ruva Nagoni. They're back, fun podcast, back after a long break. And then Paul S. from California says, Jeff and John are back with a vengeance. I always enjoy listening to John and Jeff. Nice. Nice. And and neither of those are you, right? No. Okay. Yeah, I did not ghost comment on our own podcast this time. 